The scripture for today's sermon comes from Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 56. The word of God speaks to us. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation." He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is God's word to us. Thank you, Madison. Good morning. It's good to be with you all. I am David, one of the pastors here at Frontline in Edmond. And we are continuing a series that we started last week in Feminine Virtue. And it actually started before last week as far as a a focus for the church. It was two weeks ago that over 700 women gathered at Frontline Downtown from all of our congregations. There we got a picture of one of our deacons, Stacy Russell, teaching at that. And uh, it was a really powerful time. Last week, we started our sermon series on Feminine Virtue here as Pastor JJ taught on the, the beauty, the glory, the strength of motherhood. And if you are a mom or have a mom or have ever said the word mom, you, you need to go listen to that sermon. It was one of the best sermons I've, I've heard. It was really profound and powerful. And then today I get to continue leading us in this series on feminine virtue, talking about sisterhood. And so I'm going to pray for you. I invite you to pray for me. And then we're going to jump into this text together. So let's pray with one another for one another. God, we begin by just remembering your generosity. You've, you've given us yourself. You're a good father who gives good gifts, and the best gift ever given is your son, Jesus Christ. And the gift that he gives us is he brings us together as family. And so we pray that we would know and be shaped and changed and be formed and, and look at the reality of, of who you are, Father, who your son is, Spirit of God, who you are, what that means for us today. And that we would grow in our understanding of the the good news that we are family if we're in Christ. We pray this Christ in your name. God's people said, 
Amen. So I um, have two sisters. Raise your hand if you have sisters. All right, a good chunk of us. These are these are two of my sisters. Uh, circa 1991. My mom, thank you, mom, gave me this picture yesterday. I believe my shirt says "Surf on," and I have never been surfing in my life. Uh, 42 years old, don't think I'll ever go surfing, so that's disingenuous. Um, These are two very important women to me, and they have flanked me my whole life in big ways. I'm very thankful for them, and I was praying uh, in gratitude and and thinking about them a lot this week as I was preparing to talk about sisterhood. Nancy, who is Fanny Pack Blue, Nancy's been just a, a steadfast, like consistent influence on me my whole life for taking my faith seriously. I was just thinking about when I was in junior high, Nancy was in high school, how annoyed I was that her alarm went off so early because she was getting up to read the Bible. And I was not. I was just being woken up by her alarm. Uh, but she, she publicly before me followed Jesus in a really profound way. And she loves the Bible. And one of her favorite scriptures in all the Bible, she's taught it actually here at Frontline in multiple ways, is uh, Acts chapter 16. And it's the story of this woman, Lydia, coming to faith. And as Lydia comes to faith, she becomes this like big sister to men who are walking out in ministry like Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And she's described in Acts, Acts, Acts 16 as prevailing upon them in ways, which is fitting because Nancy has prevailed upon me again and again in my life. When I was uh, a teenager, I didn't want to go to youth group. She prevailed upon me and made sure I was there. In church, if I wasn't paying attention as a kid, she would be sitting next to me and prevail upon me to, to stop doing what I was doing and pay attention to the preacher. Um, she, she would prevail upon me to like open doors for her if we were going places. And I, like countless times, she looked at me and said, chivalry will not die with you. And Andrea, who's Fanny Pack Red, um, was my, my biggest sister. In a real way, like, I wouldn't be married to my wife, Anna, if it wouldn't be for Andrea. She pretty much arranged my marriage and introduced me to Anna and uh, just was really, like, championing us getting together. And despite the – Anna's not here to defend herself. This is the disputed number. But by my count, asked her out five times before she said yes. And when I got turned down the fifth time with, like, a really profound reason, like, I'm babysitting that night. Um, And Anna would just say no and not open the door to another day. And I was just like, all right, I really care about this girl. I'm interested in her. But hearing no five times is a lot, you know. And uh, and so I told my big sister, like, you know, five, I'm getting the message. I don't think she wants to go out with me. And uh, Andrea said something along the lines of, "Um, man, I didn't know you were a sissy. (laughs) I thought you were a man. (laughs) I thought you really liked her. Why don't you stop feeling sorry for yourself and go prove yourself a man worthy of dating? And uh, that was good advice. So it worked out for me. We have four kids. And, uh, and so thank God for sisters. Thank God for, for being a sister and having a sister. And this morning, we're going to look at this text that, that holds up the beauty of sisterhood. There's the feminine virtue of sisterhood on display between these two women that's an encouragement for us, for their, their life, their faith, their example. And they're an encouragement to the, to the ladies here in the room, but they're also encouragement to, to the men in the room. And, and I want us as a church to, to 
hold up and embrace in new deep ways spiritual family, specifically sisterhood, that we together would, would celebrate, we would honor, we would embrace the role God has appointed women in our church in the faith to be sisters in the family of God. So jumping right into it then, as we look at this text, the first thing that we need to see with that hope before us is the centrality of Jesus to sisterhood. That sisterhood begins with actually looking at Christ and who he is and what he's done. As we begin to talk about sisterhood, we actually have to talk about Jesus first to really understand that high calling and the beauty and the gift of sisterhood in the family of God. Because Jesus is quite literally, but in essence, in every way, at the center of the story in Luke chapter 1. In the lives of Mary and Elizabeth, in the meeting of two, these two women, we see God providing the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. And we, don't, we can't blow past the significance and the weightiness, the glory, and the power of this unique moment in history that's happening here in the story of these two women coming together. God himself has entered the world The creator has become part of the creation, and he didn't arrive in a way that we might suspect would cause headlines all around the globe. He's coming in humility, and we see that here in a profound way. He's coming through supernatural and miraculous means, but he's also coming conventionally. The Son of God became an embryo. The savior of the world in this text we see in utero, a baby in the womb who's breakable. The son of God is being sustained by an umbilical cord here. Jesus is at the center of the story. We see Mary and Elizabeth facing each other and joining them together in love and in purpose and in mission Though he's barely perceptible, just a a little bump that you have to look for on Mary's belly. He is there. He is at work. He's changing lives. He's bringing these women together, unifying them in truth. And Mary, as she carries Jesus in her womb in this text, she's visiting her, her cousin Elizabeth, who also is miraculously present, uh, pregnant with a, with a baby boy who one day Jesus will call the greatest person ever born of woman, John the Baptist. And his whole ministry, his purpose is going to, to be a ministry marked by preparing a way for Jesus. John will live And John the Baptist will die for the purpose of pointing the world to Jesus. The gospel is going to record a moment where where John, in in the height of his ministry, sees Jesus and he shouts out, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he, he points to Jesus in a real way saying, Hey, our only hope, our only salvation is there in the flesh. He's God's long promised Savior. See, this story is a story about Jesus what he does, how he forms us. Even before he says anything, he's present and, and he's at work and he's changing lives. So to understand who we are as the family of God has to begin with looking to Jesus. Abigail Dodds puts it this way in her book, A Typical Woman, Free, Whole, and Called in Christ. Writing to women, she says, women... We harm ourselves when we use the Bible as a how-to book on being a woman only. 
rather than look to it to see our God and Savior who teaches us all things. So Christ Jesus is at the center of understanding sisterhood as a part of the family of God because Jesus creates and defines family. See, when, when we hear sister, we, we usually think where I began when I, when I spoke. I, I point to my biological sisters, and yet Jesus does something really profound in Mar- Matthew chapter 12. He, he redefines, he redraws the boundaries, he raises our understanding of family for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. If you have your Bibles, flip over to Matthew chapter 12. If you don't have your Bibles... I'll have it up here on the screen for you. We're going to begin in verse 46. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brother stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hands towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So imagine the situation. Jesus is teaching. He's preaching. He's got a crowd of disciples before him who are listening to him. And a guy comes up and interrupts and says something along the lines of, Jesus, your family's outside. They need to talk to you. And we might expect, certainly in this culture, they would expect that Jesus would stop teaching to go to his family. But what does he do? He he says, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Which seems rude. (laughs) Yet he stretches out his hands towards his disciples and he yells, hey, this is my family. I'm not leaving these people to go be with my family. You all are my family because you, you do the will of my Father in heaven. You're my family if you're following me, if you love my heavenly father. And he's not dishonoring his his biological family in that moment. He's elevating the family of God. Men and women who are part of the kingdom of God and living for God's purposes, if we're in Christ, we are family. This is a profound truth from Jesus. So he is, again, redrawing the boundaries of what it means to be a brother or a sister or a mom or a dad, not around a family tree in biology and genealogy. He's saying, hey, I'm calling people as their big brother, their savior, and I'm making people who are part of the kingdom of God family. Kevin Colley, pastor downtown, he, he put it this way. He says, the use of familial terms in church is not sentimental or incidental. It is essential. I'm going to say that again. The use of familiar terms, calling each other brother or sister, that's not sentimentality. That's not accidental, incidental. It is essential, a gift purchased for us by the blood of Jesus. So I ask again, hey, raise your hand if you have a sister. Like if you're a Christian, we all say, praise God, I have a sister. If we're in Christ, we have sisters. So first, Jesus is central to sisterhood in the family of God. But also the second thing I want us to see is the presence and importance of sisterhood to God's plan. See, this moment in in Luke 1, it's unique compared to ancient literature in the Near East, meaning that like if, if you read lots of scholars, they will, they will highlight the point that 
if you dig into ancient literature, women are rarely, if ever, featured prominently. Men are almost exclusively in ancient literature from the Near East, the, the focus. And women, if they are present, they're ancillary, they're on the fridges, fringes, they're, they're on the side. So for a story like this to have women be the central figures of the narrative is really rare and unique, let alone be the only figures in the story besides the, the two baby boys in the womb, right? But although this is rare in a lot of ancient literature, it's the norm in the life and ministry of Jesus. And even if we go back to what JJ taught from last week as we looked at the feminine virtue of motherhood, we went to the most significant story in the Old Testament and talked about the Exodus. And that story of God powerfully delivering his people begins how? It begins with courageous midwives and, and strong moms and a compassionate princess working together for God's plans. And you come here to, to the gospel, the story of Jesus and who he is, the greater deliverer that that story just hints towards and points at. And how does this story begin with two strong, courageous women brought together once again for God's plan? And as we continue to look at the life and ministry of Jesus, we can look at places like uh, Luke chapter 8 that tells us of women like Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Susanna who weren't just fellow disciples of Jesus, but they worked to financially support the ministry of Jesus. And then if you, you look at the cross of Christ in places like Luke chapter 23, we're told that the ones who walked with Christ as he bore the cross, who watched and wept at a distance, were women together. And John gives us the color in John chapter 19 in his gospel, gives us the detail that it was, along with the apostle John, three women who stood at the foot of the cross and watched Jesus suffer and die. It was his mother, his aunt, and Mary Magdalene again. And significantly, John 20, the next chapter, tells us three days later on the first Easter morning, this Sunday, Jesus rose again. Who did the resurrected Savior of the world first appear to? It was Mary Magdalene, his, his little sister. And he sent her the first, she has the profound honor of being the first missionary to bring the good news. The first person to run to someone, look them in the eye, and proclaim the truth that, that Jesus is alive, he's risen, was Mary. That's significant. What an honor. See, sisterhood is central to God's plans in Scripture and in our life today, in our church, in our congregation, in our family, this family of God. So what does that look like? Let's see. The, the third thing, let's dig into this story as we look at the heart of sisterhood on display. The heart of sisterhood on display. So what's powerful about this text is to see this these. Godly women come together and the heart of sisterhood is put on display for us despite big differences between these two. Mary is young, right? And Elizabeth is old. They're distant cousins and there's real differences between them, not just age, but also socioeconomic class. There's a divide there. Mary was a peasant. She was a common person. Her name, Mary, it's believed that like one in four women in, in the ancient Near East was named Mary. She's just one of many, a nobody in a real way. 
And yet Elizabeth was, was a woman of regard. She's not a common woman. Her husband was a priest. He was somebody, and she was known and held in high regard. But she was separated by the fact that in her culture especially, she couldn't have a baby. And look at the story. As we go back to verse 5 through 25, we're told that an angel appears to Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah, and essentially says, hey, you've been praying for a long time. You picked up hope and laid down hope. You've been praying for decades, and you may have forgotten, but God hasn't forgotten. Your prayers have been answered. I'm bringing you really great news, even though you, Zechariah, are really, really old, and your wife, Elizabeth, is really, really old. I've got really, really good news. You're going to have a baby boy. And you're going to name him John. And he's going to bring you great joy. And everybody's going to celebrate at his birth. And he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit even in your bride's womb. And he's going to turn people back to God. He's going to prepare the way for God's Savior. And Zechariah, who was this priest who knew God's word through and through, Elizabeth's husband, he responds to this angel who just delivered this news face to face, Zechariah says, okay, but I'm really old and my wife is really old, so how's that going to work? And I love what happens next. I don't know why I love the scripture so much. I've always loved it. Verse 19, the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Gabriel is like, I, I hang out with God. <laughs> and I came here just to tell you this, right? I, I, I normally have more important things to do. <laughs> you know, And you're not going to believe me, so... There is a such thing as a stupid question, and you're going to take a time out from talking for 40 weeks and just think about it. just want you to think about this conversation and think about not listening to me, an angel who came here to tell a priest that God was going to do something miraculous and that, that glitched you up. So you can just think about it until this baby's born, and then you can talk again. But the same angel then goes to Mary. He visits Mary, and he brings a similar message. God has an amazing plan for you, Mary. You're going to have a miraculous baby and Mary asks, not so much in, in disbelief, but more just seeking to understand, hey, how's that going to happen? I'm a virgin. And Gabriel tells her, because the Spirit of God is going to do a work miraculously in you. And Mary's answer is, hey, I trust God. I mean, think about the spiritual maturity, the, the, the rooted righteousness, this faith that's formidable in this young woman who takes a posture to literally say to this angel, let it be to me as you've said. And after this, Mary learns that her cousin Elizabeth is pregnant as well, so she quickly goes to be with her, and the story holds up before us in a profound, wonderful way. These two godly women coming face to face, and they've staked their identity and their lives on the promise of God, even when it was great risk to them, potentially disastrous for their reputation. They trust God for their, their purpose, their identity, their direction, their strength, even when it's hard. They're saying, God, you know what's best, and I'm trusting you and following your plans. And so we have these two righteous women standing together for God's purposes. And Elizabeth welcomes Mary as a sister. 
Look at what Barbara Mauser says about this moment in Five Aspects of Woman. Part of this is going to be up here on the screen. God often renews us through other life givers. That is, he uses women to give fellowship and encouragement to one another. Mary, the mother of the Lord, sought out such fellowship with her cousin, Elizabeth, by going to her home for three months. Mary and Elizabeth shared a common faith, a common family, and were experiencing supernatural pregnancies at the same time. Elizabeth was, however, a very special woman to Mary. Elizabeth was not only much older, but she was six months further along in her pregnancy. Perhaps they had a deep and long-lasting fellowship with each other over the years, or maybe their pregnancies drew them together for the first time. Either way, they found true fellowship and encouragement in one another as they walked similar paths. And then she goes on to write, Redeemed life givers will always be renewed by the Lord, by men who protect and provide, and by other women, especially older women. Women can and should be a great source of fellowship, comfort, understanding, encouragement, and counsel for one another. So sisters in the family of God, sisterhood, a gift from God in the family of God, they share their unique feminine strength with other sisters and with brothers in the family of God as well. And Elizabeth had the wisdom of a life rooted in and oriented around the promises of God, and she freely shares that life with her little sister in the faith, Mary. As I was reading this this week, I was reminded of this, this just chance encounter, a quick encounter I had uh, you know, probably about two years ago. I rarely ride my bike to work, but randomly one day I did. And uh, I'm riding down Boulevard, and I, I, I ride my bike, which I think is illegal, on the sidewalk because people text and drive. And so I'm not sharing the road with a car. Uh, but uh, I, I see I'm driving the si- on the sidewalk south on Boulevard, and I see a couple women heading my way, maybe a half a block away. So I hop off my bike because chivalry will not die with me. And, uh, and so I get off to make room for them. And as they get closer, I realize um, that it would have, to the, anybody seeing, looked like a mom and a daughter. It was a, a woman in about her mid-60s and a, a young woman in her mid-20s. But they were two women who were covenant members of the church that were in community group together, members of Frontline. And they were on their way to participate in their discipleship group, part of their community group. And they had stopped to get coffee together. And they were literally side by side, walking a path. And they were sharing life. They were praying with each other. And the older one was pouring out wisdom into the younger. They were sharing their hearts. They were encouraging each other, providing strength. It was a a powerful picture of the family of God and the blessing of sisterhood. The fourth thing for us to see are the glorious prayers of sisters. See, we see Sisterhood in the family of God in a powerful way, just on display through the prayers and the, the blessing and the prophecies of these two women. Uh, first and foremost is as uh, Mary enters the presence of Elizabeth, the first thing that she does is she blesses this little sister, and that's significant. Verse 41, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, 
Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And so, so Elizabeth just showers Mary with blessing as she comes into her house. And then what she does next is historically unique because she's the first person. This is, I didn't realize this, I don't believe until this week, that, that Elizabeth is the first person in Scripture to call Jesus Lord. It's a big deal. Verse 43, she asks this beautiful question. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And the first proclamation of Jesus as Lord happens in the blessing of this big sister in the family of God. And then she prophesies. Verse 44, for behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Here, Elizabeth is providing a prophetic recognition about the, the unique child that Mary's carrying, that he is the fulfillment of all the promises of God. And in doing so, she's in a real way providing the first prophecy in Scripture for, for, the, for the first prophecy in the world in, in over 400 years since the book of Malachi had been closed. In her prayers and in her blessing and in her prophecy, this, this big sister is holding up the heart of what it looks like to be strong in feminine virtue with, with prayers and, and godliness and showering her little sister with blessing. And then this little sister Mary responds with prayers of her own. And it's this, again, powerful display of supernatural wisdom that's just overflowing out of Mary's heart. And this Magnificat, as theologians call it, that we often return to every Christmas is a rich prayer that is essentially at the root of it, proclaiming God's fulfilling all of his promises and he's providing a savior. God doesn't forget about his people, but he provides for his people. And as I was reading that this week, I was just reflecting on and giving gratitude for all the ways consistently that sisters in the family of God have prayed for me in profound life-changing ways that are just a blessing again and again. And I just invite you to stop, sisters and brothers, to, to stop and reflect on historic ways or recent ways that the prayers of sisters have shaped and formed and blessed you. I remember years ago when Anna and I had only been married months sitting in a living room and having a woman named Marcia Dobb pray like profound prayers and prophesy over Anna and I in a way that really shaped and formed our life moving forward. I think about Paula who right now is probably in that prayer room and who every Sunday consistently in a hidden way is praying for each of us all the time. What a gift of a sister. I think about the week of prayer we had just a few weeks ago, and, and on a hard day, a brother in Christ, Pastor Eric, but also Christy, a, a sister in Christ, just moving towards me and praying prayers of encouragement and blessing. I think of my friend Cheryl, who's church planting with one of my best friend in India right now, who regularly sends me really detailed ways and scriptures in which she's praying for me. And, and I was just reminded of the, the daily Sunday liturgy I have to kiss my wife goodbye as I head here to preach and how she always says, hey, I'm praying for you as I walk out the door. Like, thank God for the prayers of sisters. They're a gift from God. They, they shape us. They form us. They empower the church. Sisters, don't stop praying. And finally, fifth 
I want us to see the power of partnership and sisterhood. I want you ladies in the room to imagine that you're Elizabeth in this story. Just use your redeemed imagination and try to, to put yourself in the shoes of Elizabeth, right? You're like six months pregnant. You've prayed and waited for decades and you've lost hope and then experienced the miraculous intervention of God and post-menopause, now you're carrying a baby. What wonder. And in your righteousness and your faith, you're trying to make sense of what all this means. And you know God's at work in your life in a really big way and you're a significant part of God's plan. And then one day, <laughs> arrive, arrives at your house, your small town, hillbilly, teenage, distant cousin. And she's pregnant too. And she's like, oh, wow, you're, you're too old to be pregnant? And God miraculously gave you a baby? That's cool. I'm like a virgin and I'm pregnant. <laughs> That's pretty cool too, huh? <laughs> oh, wow, you're carrying a prophet? That's awesome. I'm pregnant with God's son. That's kind of a big deal. That's cool. You're, I mean, that's a, you're, your baby's important too. So, you know, Mary has like stolen all of Elizabeth's thunder, right? We might expect Elizabeth would feel a little pushed aside. Like I'm finally pregnant and I've got all this joy and this purpose and I've been upstaged by Mary, you know? You just hear those stories of like, you know, at your baby shower, your best friend announces that she's pregnant with twins or your maid of honor takes the opportunity for her speech at your reception to get engaged. And you're like, really, this is not, you're, you're kind of making it about you, right? You know, but there's no competition here between these women. There's only sisterhood. There's partnership and support and love and encouragement and, and profound hospitality that Elizabeth shows this young sister where she brings her into her home for three months when she's six months pregnant and says, hey, even though I've got a lot going on, I'm going to shower you with love and encouragement and we're going to do this together in partnership. And so they partner together. They encourage one another. There's no like shadow of sisterhood that's comparison or competition or one-upping or cutting one another down, but there's laboring together and supporting one another in love. And this is the feminine virtue of sisterhood, the strength that it provides to the family of God, not just between women, but in the lives of brothers also. Ruth Baker wrote an article called Reclaiming and Reaffirming Biblical Sisterhood, and I think she captures what we should hold on to and move towards as a church. She says, the more I read and study on women and church through history, the more I realize that the significance of the concept of biblical sisterhood needs to be explored and elevated because it says something profound about women about women within the church and in relation to men and about our eternity, meaning that forever we will be the family of God when we're in Christ. So may we thank God for and continue to grow as a church family where sisters live in your fullness and strength and calling, not just encouraging one another, but also your brothers as we all walk the path that God's called us as a family. 
that we would grow as a church that sees sisters strengthen, strengthen the family of God in, in your wisdom and your welcome and your prayers and your partnership all the more. So thank God for sisters. We all need sisters. And in Christ, we all have sisters. Bonhoeffer said in Life Together, the family of God is not an ideal which we must realize. Rather, it's a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. It's not something that, that we have to create. In other words, it's a gift given by grace that we, we get to experience in Christ Jesus. Let's stand and pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would strengthen us as the family of God. Draw us closer to you. Draw us closer together as the family of God. And we praise you, God, that we have sisters because of your work. Would you bless them? Would you strengthen them? Would you encourage them? And would we honor them as a part of the family of God? We pray this, Jesus, in your name. And together, God's people said,